Welcome to this episode of Ready, Set, Grit, Your Life on Purpose with Ellen Barton, where you'll hear thought-provoking discussion, inspirational stories, and get action tips for creating the life of your dreams. Hello, and welcome to Ready, Set, Grit, Your Life on Purpose, a weekly podcast in which we talk about the secrets behind living the life you've always dreamed of. I'm Ellen Barton, and today my guest is entrepreneur, brand expert, writer, and adventurer, Susan Jacobs. Susan lives in Brooklyn, but she loves traveling, and she's often found adventuring around the world. In fact, Susan just returned from a trip to Portugal, where she spent a week as the guest of the Portuguese government, and where she met and interviewed the president. Susan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Yeah, and um, as you know, I love traveling too, and I'm fascinated by your stories and how you've been able to have all these amazing travel adventures and experiences, often in conjunction with your work. And I was wondering, is that something that you consciously set out to do, or is it something that just kind of happened along the way? Um, I would say that traveling has always been part of my life since I was a kid. Um, My parents just took us on trips, and my first trip to Europe was when I was 10, Uh, My second trip to Europe was when I was 13. I guess I got the bug early, um, and it just, I loved it. Um, So I've always, traveling has always been part of my life. Um, I was lucky enough uh, to do some, you know, I never sort of thought of traveling, how to combine travel and work, because that seemed like it was just a dream that was not possible. or it wasn't even on my radar for that matter. But then I had the opportunity in around between 2005, six, seven, and eight, when I started traveling to Haiti and doing business down there um, before it was cool to be in Haiti post earthquake, when everybody thought pre earthquake, people thought I was insane and going to the most dangerous place in the poorest country in the Western hemisphere post earthquake. It was the coolest thing. And like everybody had to be involved with Haiti. Right. So that was my first experience of going on a trip, a a vacation trip, and then seeing business opportunities and getting involved that way. Um, Doing business in Haiti back then, and probably still now, is not an easy thing. So I didn't really think of it as, oh, I'm going to do this. It just kind of happened. People would ask me, oh, can you do this? And I'd say, sure, and fell into it that way. But then I got, then an official job happened when I was hired in 2000 and, um, 12 by the son of the president of Angola to do a job. And um, that was the first time where I was really paid to work in different countries. And um, we produced events in Paris, Amsterdam, Stockholm, um, and, in, and, and was back and forth to Angola a couple of times. And that's when I really got the hunger for it, being paid for somebody by somebody to do this, getting a trip paid for and getting to experience working in different cultures and crossing, you know, my, my thing is loving to cross borders and cross cultures. Um, I'm from New York City. It was part of my life. I went to the United Nations International School. So it's always been, um, I've always been international in that way. So, so now I'm trying to um, really mold my life so that it's all about travel and getting paid to travel and work. Yeah, that's awesome. What were those events you were doing with the um, with the, the Angola connection? Um, was hired to introduce Western audiences to um, Angolan, traditional, Angol, traditional Angolan um, music and dance, which is called Kaduru. 
mm-hmm. uh, which is crazy, crazy, crazy music. It's 100, what is it, 140 beats per minute. It's like, yeah, it's insanely fast. The dance is, is just limbs flying all over the place. And we came up with a whole campaign. We branded it and came up with a whole campaign um, to create events that were authentic to Angola because the whole idea was to stay as authentic as possible and not westernize it. Um, so because it comes from the culture of, it, there's a little bit of a battle culture in the dance. Um, we did street dance battles in Paris, Amsterdam, Stockholm, and Washington, D.C., and New York City of Kaduru dancers against boppers, poppers, uh, I'm forgetting all the names of the different kinds of dances, break dancers, you know, all that kind of stuff. So we did pop-up street battles, dance battles. We filmed everything. I think we produced 20, 20 or so short videos, all different aspects of this. Um, and then we also, in Paris and Amsterdam, in Angola, a backyard is called the Quintal, and it is to Kaduru what the block party was to hip-hop. So all things Kuduru happen in the backyard. And so we decided to create pop-up quintals in those two markets, which mimicked life in the, you know, life in the backyard in Angola. We had traditional food. We had, you know, we brought in the fabrics. We created furniture based, you know, um, you know, with traditional fabrics and just an installation. It was a pop-up installation and we did concerts and we did, um, we did a brunch, a traditional Angolan brunch. Trying to find Angolan, traditional Angolan food in Amsterdam is not an easy thing to do. <laughs> uh, finding a caterer, an authentic Kaduro caterer, we had to have all the ingredients approved by the client. So yeah, so we did that and it was up for five days and we had all different events. You know, it was kind of like a workspace, you know, hangout space by day and then a party place at night. Wow, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Do you think, are there any of those videos that I could link to from the show notes page of the show? Sure, there are some on my website. Yeah, no, I'd love that. I remember seeing some of them um, way back when I think you were blogging about it. And um, I think that's when I started following you because I was like, wow, this is a really cool person <laughs> that's making these amazing videos. Oh, interesting. Videos. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, was, was, it, really was, it was an experience. It was an experience, um, and also working for the son of the president. You know, that was a whole experience because he's he's not a political person. Um, his father has been president for 37 years or something crazy like that. Um, but that was a whole experience, too, because there were a lot of parameters around it because of who we were working for. And, uh, yeah, it, it was a trip. It was a trip, but it was amazing. And we also did a um, – because Kaduro is beat. They make beats with, um, with a, a computer program. And uh, uh, so we did a cross-cultural music exchange program between students in a school in Brooklyn and Queens and Angola where the students were sharing and creating beats together. And it was just a whole cross-cultural music exchange program. We connected them on Facebook. They learned about each other's culture. They became pen pals, pen pal friends, and they ultimately made a combined CD, student, student CD. It was very cool. It was very cool. If I could do projects like that all the time, I'd be a happy camper. Yeah, that's amazing. It sounds really, really cool. And I guess it, it kind of leads me to my next question, which is about living life with intention and um, on purpose and looking for opportunities. So it, it seems like several of the opportunities you've been able to take advantage of have come out of 
happening to meet somebody and staying in touch or following up or, you know, but it, it doesn't sound like it's so much like, like going after an RFP or something like that. It's more, it's more like you're kind of like weaving your way through life and it's just, it's just kind of like showing up for you. Is that like, what's your take on it? You know, I've never been conventional and it's, I didn't come from a conventional family. I come from entrepreneurial family that broke, that broke every rule possible. My parents didn't go to nine to five jobs until they owned a, a, a business, their own business. Um, they were artists, you know, and so I didn't learn rules that most people follow. I didn't learn, I didn't learn um, fiscal responsibility. I didn't, I didn't have it pounded into me. What are you going to be when you grow up? You have to go get a college degree. You have to go get married and have kids. We didn't have any of that. It was more peace and love. Express yourself. Be true to who you are. You're unique. You're, you know, be creative. And, and, um, and my parents are very, you know, we always had a very social house and there were always creatives in the house and, and, you know, it was just a very energized, um, social upbringing that I had. And, uh, it's also just part of my nature. I'm just an outgoing person. So doing things that are normal is not normal to me. Right. You know, I always joke and say, if I, if you put me in a networking event and ask me to stand up and tell people what I do, I am panic stricken and shaking and can barely speak and can't formulate a sentence. But if you drop me in a foreign country where I know nobody, I don't speak the language and introduce me to the president, I'm totally fine. And in my <laughs> element, it's just like, that's normal to me. That's, you know, when I went to Portugal last year, people were like, aren't you scared? You don't know. I'm like, no, scared of what? You know, I don't speak the language. I love not speaking the language when I travel and not and having you can always find a way to communicate with people. And, you know, not speaking a language doesn't scare me. It's it invigorates me. And it's like um, but but to answer your question, um, yes, these opportunities, um, because I've done it organically, um, for example, the reason that I got the invitation to Portugal, pre-opt-in for databases and email lists and all that, um, I put together my list. And this Portuguese guy somehow ended up on my list. And periodically I send out, you know, an update or whatever. And I don't really pay much mind to it. I don't have a, a an email marketing plan or anything like that. It's like, oh, I wrote a blog. Let me send this out. I think people might like it things like that. So I do it very infrequently. So when I do send things out, people tend to pay attention because it's something different and I'm not hammering them over the head with um, selling them something. So I knew this guy, I don't even know how, but I knew we were connected and, and I knew he had at some point talked about possibly doing a project together, but that's all I knew. And then I get an email from him. He responded when I sent out a blog, um, when I started blogging for Huffington Post. And he responded to it, and I knew he was into sailing, and um, pretty much that's all I knew. And then at some point, I got an email last year, a few months, uh, a few weeks before the, like a month before the sailing thing, and he's like, "I have an invitation for you." So I thought he was coming to New York, and he was going to invite me to dinner. <laughs> I was like, "Okay, great." And it was an invitation because he was involved with the sailing. He's like, "I, I, I think you should be at this." And that was just totally organic because he knew the project I had done in Angola. And in fact, turns out that he was the introduction to the Angolans, which I didn't even know. So oh, because funny. of this guy who I didn't know, they went to him 
for the job. He said he wasn't the right person. He asked his Portuguese friend um, if he had any ideas. His Portuguese friend is married to an American who used to work at Rolling Stone who had been to an event that I produced, and she said, this is, these are the only people to do it. So there was this whole circuitous, crazy thing, and it was very non-American because Americans don't operate like that. You know, the way I got invited to Portugal, and Americans would not have invited me. They would have been, where are your media credentials? What are you going to do for us? What are you going to deliver? What are you, when are you going to do it? Let me see your writing samples. What's your portfolio? You know, all this nonsense. Europeans, non-Americans are like, oh, Ellen says she's good people. She's good people. Right. Very different way of doing things. So right. I've been lucky because I've had these sort of, I, I call them happenstance, you know, just kind of, it just kind of happens. And... Um, it's magical and it's great because there's no, I mean, it would be good if there was some strategy in some cases for sure, <laughs> but, but these kinds of, you know, I mean, I'd like to strategically plan future things, but these things have happened. I've had to work for them and I've had to be authentic to who I am through the process. And by being authentic to who I am and how I do business, it's resonated with people so that they will put the dot, connect the dots and put me in situations. If that yeah. makes any sense. You know, it totally does. And I, I have a philosophy that if you, ha- if you are authentic to yourself and your purpose and you're, um, you have some kind of vision for what you want out of life, then I really do believe that that happenstance, as you called it, does um, begin to show up for you. And, and, and the difference with you to maybe some other people is that you were open to it and you were aware of it and you acted on it. You know, you didn't just get an email from some random guy and ignore it. You know, you, you responded and you were open to it being authentic and it, it was, it opened all these other doors. So I, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for that. It's, it's like flowing through life, you know, and it's, um, it, it doesn't have to be hard. Right. It doesn't have to be hard. And, you know, I get my fear is not with things like this. My fear, fear comes up for me a lot, but it's just with insecurity. It's not with adventure. You know, I'm drop me in Africa. I'm fine. Drop me in Haiti. I'm fine. You know, that stuff doesn't scare me. Um, My own demons in my head scare me of, you know, my own, um, you know, just my own stuff that we all have. But it's a funny, it's a different kind of. Um, the adventure things that would scare the crap out of most people is just second nature to me. It's just natural. You know, if somebody told me tomorrow, I have, we're going to, I don't know, some totally crazy place. I'd be like, great, bring it on. Um, without even thinking about it. Because I also, it feeds my spirit, you know, travel and being in different cultures and seeing, um, how people live and how they think. And, you know, when I was in Madeira, when I just came, I was there for 10 days, nine days. And, I forgot what a different lifestyle is. You know, I'm born and raised in New York City, and it's insane here. It's just friggin' insane, and it's and it's so normal to me that I forgot that it wasn't normal because it's not a it's not a normal healthy lifestyle here at all. And when I went there, I was like, wow, you know, even the bathrooms in the airport are clean and civilized, and people are civilized. And I, you know, I went I go salsa dancing, and I went to an outdoor event when I came back and I was like seriously women you use the toilet you wipe yourself you can't throw the toilet paper in the toilet you have to throw it on the floor like it's just like really Mm -hmm. and 
just seeing, and I probably wouldn't have thought about it except seeing the flip side of it if people just don't do that over there, or at least in my small, minuscule experience, it's a much calmer, peaceful, civilized lifestyle, and and you got to get out of your own jungle sometimes and, and experience that and, and reassess what's important to you. I'm, I'm a diehard New Yorker. I've always been. I have a friend, when I told him I was moving to Brooklyn, he thought I was like having a mental breakdown because he couldn't believe I was actually leaving the borough of Manhattan. And, <laughs> and if I told him I wanted to move to Madeira, he'd, he'd really think I was needed hospitalization. That's how much of a diehard New Yorker I've been my whole life. But now I'm like, this isn't fun. It's not, it's not a quality of life that's appealing to me. And I want to see how other people live and experience it and take it down a few notches because there's more to life than the concrete jungle. Yeah. Yeah. I like that term. You've got to get out of your own jungle sometime. That's, that's, uh, I'm going to use that. (laughs) That's okay. But I want to ask you about, so you're, um, to, to go into a different kind of adventure, you are a business owner, and you mentioned your parents were entrepreneurs, and uh, you've owned your own business for how long now? Well, I guess I can't really say I own my own business. I've been a consultant, so I don't know if that's technically You've been in business for business, yourself for a long time. I've been in business for, yes, I've been in business for myself for a long time. Since 1990, since 1990 I've only worked for somebody else for three and a half years. Um, so that's a lot of time working on my own. I had a PR agency for seven years. Um, I've just been a cons- I've just been independent. Um, before 1990, I worked for other people. Actually, from, I'm sorry, from 1993. From 1993 till now, I've only worked for, gone to a job for other people for three and a half years out of that. And that was two different jobs in the music business at record labels. Are there... Um... Is there any advice you wish you had gotten back when you started working for yourself that I'm certain that you've learned, you know, many lessons as we all have over the years, but is there anything that sticks out to you as something you wish someone would have told you or that you would have known? Well, I had two partnerships in there. So there's a lot of things that I wish people had told me about that because um, I did two part, two different partnerships completely spontaneously like, sure. Hey, it's Thursday. Okay, great. Let's start a company. Um, <laughs> I've one, done the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh-huh. It's like yeah. I, um, a lot of things, a lot of advice I can give on going into partnership with somebody um, that I wish I had known. Um, I never set out to do this on my own. I never set out to have a company. I never set out to work by myself. I'm a very social person and I thrive on um, inter- human interaction. And, and for me, working by myself is challenging um, because it leaves me way too much time in my own head. Um, so I think partly uh, the advice would be, you know, what are you doing and why are you doing it? And are you sure that's what you want to do? Um, and what do you, you know, what are you looking to do? Because I just did it. I did it. You know, I had a, I had a, PR agency, we started it because I was looking to get out of a job that I was miserable at. And I thought I'd do it for a few months, collect unemployment at the same time, and then get another job. Seven years later, I was like, okay, it's time to move on. Went to a record label um, for a year, left there because I went from, you know, worked and went into the corporate world and it was not for me. And then was going to just get away from PR and go 
and teach Pilates and do yoga and do the holistic stuff that's the other part of my life. And then September 11th happened and I got offered another record label job. And I was like, $25 an hour making teaching Pilates on a good day, six-figure salary, post 9-11. Okay, guess I got to go back to the world. And then again, after two and a half years there, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I've got to get out of here. And I went as far away as possible and I went to Africa for two months. And I came back and I didn't know what I was going to do, but I did not think it was going to be starting my own business or, you know, I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I just knew that I needed a different life. And then I started getting involved with Haiti and, you know, just kind of crazy projects started showing up. And But I had no plan. I had no absolutely zero plan, strategy, vision, nothing. But stuff just showed up. And it was like, great, this is really cool. They need cement in Haiti. Sure, I can get cement in Haiti, you know, and <laughs> I'm a connector. So it's like everything was always like one phone call away. Sure, they need rice. Okay, great. Let's go to Bangkok and negotiate brokering rice deals. Like who, nobody in their right mind does that, you know, but we did that. But I didn't have a plan. I, again, I didn't have a plan. And then I started producing events because it just came up. Um, so I think that on the one hand, it's great because I've, if I did have a plan, I wouldn't have had these experiences. On the other hand, kind of would have nice, been nice to have a plan along the way <laughs> and some mm-hmm. sort of vision of what I was looking to build. And, you know, I hear all these women entrepreneurs now talking about their business and what they're, you know, and they're very clear, focused and, and, and um, driven because they have a vision for it. Um, I think my vision shifted when I, when I, decided to own that I was a writer because I've been a writer for my whole life, but I always was like, oh, I do PR and marketing, produce events, blah, 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 and I'm a writer. Oh, I do blah, 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 and I'm a writer. And then a few years ago, I'm like, you know what? I'm a writer, and I do these other things too. And that was the, that was the closest to a plan that I came up with was positioning myself out there as a writer and, and owning that that's who I am. So I guess, yeah, I don't know if I'm answering the question or not, but I, I guess um, I wish that somebody had sort of given me some advice as to just kind of thinking about it a little bit more instead of just totally being spontaneous and going where the wind blew me on whatever day. Yeah, you know, I think that that's a really good point. But then on the other hand, you've had all these great experiences that I'm supposing you wouldn't trade in, you know, more of a a straight line kind of traditional career. You wouldn't have got the opportunity to do what you've done. So... Exactly. Maybe there is this this plan that somebody has for you, even if you don't know what it is yet. But, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I'm wondering, so there's something about um, mindset and beliefs that is tied to success, however you want to define it. And I think part of it's like being open um, and, and, and you briefly mentioned like demons in your mind so how so so I know you're aware of um you know keeping tabs on your thoughts and making sure that they're helping and not hindering you so how do you how do you check in with yourself to make sure that your mindset is staying um in a place where it's beneficial towards your success and growth for me it's through journaling and just knowing I know when I'm out of kilter I mean I, I, I feel it I feel when I'm not aligned I feel I know immediately when the demons are popping up because I suddenly just go into a tailspin um, and sometimes I could pull myself out of it really quickly and sometimes 
I don't re I don't realize that that's what's going on, and it takes me, you know, it takes me a little bit of time to go. Oh wait, no, this is just that nonsense stuff, and um, you know, get back to the breath and get back to getting grounded and being present and all that stuff. And um, you know, my yoga teacher always says fear is excitement without the breath. And um, when you go back to your breath, you know, suddenly, and when you go back to being present that stuff goes away because in, in this present moment, there's absolutely nothing wrong. There can't be any demons because everything's perfect. You know, I'm with shelter, I'm with food, I'm with everything that I need, I'm with a conversation with you. It's like, I'm here now and fully present. Um, you know, you go off the deep end when you start going into the future or the past, which is neither here nor there, right? So I try to check myself, you know, I, I check, I, I, I journal for the most part every day Sometimes if I really, that's just always been my, um, my uh, sanctuary. Mm -hmm. um, and I've, I actually, <laughs> I write all my ideas in my journals and, you know, I'll put like, it took me years to realize to put like an hour in the margin to know that it was a creative idea as, as opposed to my, you know, vomiting neurotic stuff. <laughs> and so, <laughs> um, so. Finally, I went back through my journals and I had to, you know, to find my creative ideas because there were a million ideas in there. And I was like, wow, I've been writing the same shit, the same stuff year after year after year after year. If I write one more year that I have to do the artist's way book, I'm going to just <laughs> heave, you know? And I was like, this is crazy. But that was my way that, you know, and then I stopped. I was like, I don't care if I ever do the artist's way. Clearly, it's not meant to happen 10 years later if I've been writing in a journal and never yeah. done it. You know, and it's just letting go of stuff. It's knowing when to let go of stuff. And I constantly am doing that in my house. Like, I'm constantly getting rid of stuff. I'm, I'll get rid of books or I'll get rid of clothes or I'll just find stuff to get rid of because I feel like we get so encumbered with stuff, with mental clutter and physical clutter. And um, my mom used to say physical chaos creates mental chaos. And I've always paid attention to that because when there's always stuff around and there's always stuff in your eyesight, in your eye, you know, your vision line or whatever it's called, it clutters your head. And there's something really nice about clear, empty space. Uh, you know, a bookshelf that doesn't have a book on every single shelf stuffed to the nine mm -hmm. or stuffed to the whatever, whatever that expression is. Mm -hmm, you know, there's mm -hmm. something nice about just having, you can have a bookshelf that doesn't have books everywhere. And so I'm constantly trying to clear out stuff to keep the clutter, whether it's mental clutter or physical clutter, at bay. And, uh, you know, so that's, that's one of the ways that I do it. And then also yeah. just calling friends and freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you bet that you gotta do that sometimes. Absolutely. But I really, you know, you had, I, I really like some of the things that you said there. The fear is excitement without the breath is uh, profound and, um, something that I think all of us can stand to remember, um, Anytime we're feeling anxious, you know, it's, it's really, for the most part, we are okay in the moment all the time. Mm -hmm. So that's, um, that's a good advice. And it's something I try to follow. Of course, we never follow it 100%, or at least I never follow it 100%, but it's a good thing to you keep know, in it's mind. You so, know, it, it's so hard to remember this. When you're in it, you know, yeah. it's like when you get a cold, you can't remember what to do when you have a cold. Yeah, it exactly. Just, it's the, world and you can't remember okay you know make some 
chickens, you know, it's just like this. We just forget. We just don't remember the stuff. We have selective amnesia all the time. That's true. But I think that, you know, the more you raise your awareness and the more you read and study and, you know, it, it comes back quicker. But not to say that it never happens and we never go into that fear place, because I think we all do um, from time to time. But for me, anyway, I, I find that I can get out of it quicker, usually, because mm-hmm. I've been going there for so many years. <laughs> but, well, I think but, part of it's getting older. You know, I think yeah. part of it is just knowing, you know, you get to know yourself and it's like, oh, OK, it's that thing. Oh, it's, you know, right. oh, I know that feeling. It doesn't really mean anything. It's like heartbreak, you know, when, you, when you're younger and you go through heartbreak, you just think you're going to die, you're not going to survive it, and then you get older, and it's like, oh, yeah, it's going to suck and hurt for a while, but I will live through this, and it's okay, and, you know, you just get a little bit, wisdom, wisdom presumably kicks in. Right. I like the word presumably, but yes, <laughs> like, yeah. hopefully, hopefully. Um, mm-hmm. What about grit? Uh, I always like to ask about grit because I love stories of um, I'm just fascinated by times in people's lives where they were really struggling and then they they found the resources to to carry on and go through and and persevere. Um, Was there a moment you can think of where you had to really like dig deep and get through a challenge that you were facing that is there something that you could share along those lines? I had to get through it with a breakup of, you know, with a complete train wreck breakup with somebody that I was living with, working with, traveling with, um, and was left having to file bankruptcy, um, just devastated, 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 um, humiliated, you know, angry, terrified, piss-ass broke, um, mm-hmm. not answering the phone for a year because of collection agencies, you know, and all that stuff and, um, and having to rebuild and having to um, rebuild all facets of my life because it was all tangled up with him and because we did everything together. And um, lesson learned, not the smartest thing to do. Um, but, but that was really, that was... And I realized that what got me into the situation, even though, like you said before, you know, I, I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't change this because I had to learn and I had to look at, you know, the, there's the first thing, you know, you point the finger and it's, you know, what do they say? You point a finger at somebody and there are three fingers pointing back at you. But at first it was like, he did this, he did this, he did this, he did this, you know, the whole victim thing and the blame thing. And then it's like, okay, well, what, what was my role in this? because it always takes two to tango and it's always, if there's a relationship of any kind, there's more than one person in it. So both parties are involved, you know, and contribute. So I, I was forced to look at myself after I was finished, you know, after I got through all the blaming and the cursing and the understanding how people could suddenly end up in jail with the stuff that goes through their head, because there's a fine line when you're so angry and hurt where you really right. can snap and, and had I not had the tools to know better, I was like, wow, this is the kind of stuff people end up in jail doing something crazy when they feel like this. And, um, and it was horrible. It was really one of the darkest times of my life and having to file bankruptcy and the humiliation of that and, and what I was put through by the bankruptcy guy um, and just, you know, rock bottom, as they say, and absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely rock bottom. And 
and not knowing how I was going to get out of it. You know, I was never, I'm not a suicidal, depressed person, so it was never about anything like that. Um, thankfully, that's never been my MO. But it was like, holy crap, what am I going to do? <laughs> how mm-hmm. am I going to do this? You know, how am I going to do this when my heart is broken? Um, and when I see what I contributed to allow this to happen, and you know, and watching the progression of things in relationships and and my behavior and all of that stuff. And so that was that that required, you know, absolute um, commitment and uh, resolve that I never wanted to put myself in a situation like that again, where I never wanted to um, end up in that situation again, go through an experience of the end of it and, and you know, the, the ripple effect of what that was. And, you know, and it stays with you when you file bankruptcy, it stays with you. It doesn't just go away. And so there was a constant reminder and, and then having to figure out what I was going to do with myself and my life and my work and all that stuff. So, um, mm-hmm. But I came out at the other side and, and, you know, and it took, it took a little while and um, took longer than I thought, but it took a while. And, you know, it, it made me stronger. It made me clearer. It made me um, have, have boundaries of things that I will and won't allow. And I'm grateful for the experience. Now I could truly say I'm grateful nine years later for the experience because without it, I don't know what the next relationship would have looked like, you know? Um, so I learned my lesson in a hard way, but not the hardest way possible, you know? Right. Um, right. So yeah, so that, that was, that was, that required a lot of grit and a lot of tears and a lot of meditating, a lot of punching pillows and screaming and cursing and throwing things against walls and, you know, um, but you come out of it, you know, we're very resilient mm-hmm. and the heart is an amazing organ that does heal and, but, but having tools, you know, I've had a toolbox my whole life. I've been meditating since I was a teenager, you know, not necessarily consistency, consistently, but it's been meditation and yoga has been part of my life. So there's all, I always knew to go to my mat. I always knew to get on my mat. And when I got on my mat, things sorted out and things calmed down. And that's where I find my peace on my yoga mm. mat. But then on your mat there in that present moment, everything is safe. Everything is perfect, right? Exactly. Exactly. So that was so that was one time where it was like involving another person and and then going through my thyroid experience and having to, you know, go through that, but I know we're going to touch on that later. Yeah, well, why don't we why don't we just jump right into that because um so you you had this pretty serious condition with hyperthyroid hyperthyroidism and Graves' disease, which are, were they related or are these two separate things? Yeah, they're related. They're related. Um, thyroid is a gland in your throat, and Graves' disease is basically your immune system attacking your eyes, and um, the symptoms are like Barbara Bush had Graves' disease, but eyes are bugging out. Thankfully, I never had it where my eyes were popping out of my head, but um, but yeah, I, I was diagnosed my dad died, I started a PR agency, and I got together with my ex-husband all at the same time. And a year later, I was diagnosed with hyperthyroid, and I didn't even know what it was. And I thought I was just stressed all the time. Under cer- those circumstances, it made sense that I would feel like I was stressed all the time. Um, but, uh, yeah, I found out I had this condition, and they wanted to have me drink radioactive iodine. And... I've always been holistic and um, healthy and, and done things, you know, with acupuncture and herbs and all that kind of stuff and meditation and yoga. And I believe that we create conditions 
to learn something, and I believe that we can heal ourselves. Um, but I was really pushed to the test with that because uh, it wasn't life-threatening per se, although um, with hyperthyroid, your whole system is sped up. So at times, my resting heartbeat was over 100 beats per minute, which is really fast um, at a resting heartbeat. And I couldn't sleep on my side or my stomach because my heart was pounding so much. And you know, I would go to my holistic practitioners, but at the same time, I kept checked in with my endocrinologist for the blood work and whatnot. And he was scaring the crap out of me, you know, that I was putting my life at risk and all that stuff. And I had to hold, and he thought I was crazy when I said, well, when I don't eat sugar and drink coffee and meditate, then I do better. And he's like, you're insane. You need to drink radioactive iodine and go on medicine for the rest of your life. And you're putting your life at risk. And I was like, no, I'm not. Um, but I've come out of his office crying, just terrified, like maybe I am putting my life at risk. What if I was told I had cancer and I want to heal naturally? If I knew that there was chemotherapy, would I do it? Would I hold to my convictions that I could heal myself? You know, and I went through, it was very, very challenging. Um, and he ultimately fired me as a patient because he said I was just too much of a risk taker. And, um, but I believed that I could heal and, you know, I would get better. My numbers would get better and then they'd get worse again. And, each time they got better, I'd be like, oh, I could have a cappuccino. And then my body would be like, oh, no, you can't. And the symptoms would come back worse each time. So every time I cheated, every time I got better and cheated, the symptoms came back worse. I was like, okay, I can't mess around with this. My body is like, no, no, no. <laughs> we're, get, we're, we're allowing you to heal, and you're taking advantage of it. So we're going to bitch slap you a little bit harder this time. And, mm-hmm. and then I got really serious. And, but then one day I found a book um, – I found two books. One was uh, Anatomy of the Spirit by Carolyn Miss, and the other was Pima Chodron, who's a Buddhist, um, called um, When Things Fall Apart. And those two books just really transformed my healing process. And the Anatomy of the Spirit broke down the chakras in a way that I had never looked at. And throat and eyes, what am I not saying and seeing in my life? And that was when the real journey began after I don't know how many years I was in it. uh, and this was pre-internet, you know, this was in the early mm-hmm. 90s, this was pre-internet and pre-Google, I, there were not the resources that, that you have now, I didn't have a community of support, I was very alone, and, you know, I'd have to go find a book, and there was nothing that was really addressing the holistic side of things, um, but when I looked at, when I realized, what am I not saying and seeing, I was like, oh, okay, and then I started going deep into it, and, and you know, really getting to know myself and examining who I was in my behavior, my belief system and all that stuff. And then, then, my, then my numbers really started to change and ultimately I went into remission. And my numbers have been you know, virtually perfect for years. I did have two surgeries on my eye to correct um, the double vision that I had. I had to wear eyeglasses with prisms on them. Um, but I only had, I had two eye surgeries to correct that and I never, I'm not on medicine. I still have my thyroid and I healed myself. Wow, that's amazing. Deep, 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 deep soul-searching process. (laughs) That's amazing. That sounds like a book, Susan. It is a book. It's a book in progress. (laughs) It's so interesting how our emotional state is tied to our physical health and also when we are not giving voice to our, you know, true self, if we're we're keeping ourselves shut up or... or, um, you know, not being authentic to that, it really can manifest in physical ways like you experienced. 
Absolutely. And and it's so silly. I mean, we're all here. We're all we all go through the same stuff. We all want to be loved. We all want money so we can be comfortable. We all want food, shelter. We all want a happy, rich and fulfilling, gratifying, you know, life. We all basically basically want the same. Most people predominantly want the same things. And we're so terrified to be who we are and to show our our, our blemishes and to show our lips that we just go through life with this kind of fraudulent life. And and that's why people get sick. I mean, there are other reasons too, obviously, but you know, I just feel like we're just so, I don't know what it is about society or what it is that makes us so afraid to just truly embrace and love and trust who we are and live that way and be ourselves. People are going to like it, they're not going to like it, and that's okay. There's, you know, like everything, like every business, there are people that like Pepsi-Cola and there are people that like Coca-Cola. There's plenty of people to go around for both. There are people who are going to like me as a writer and there are going to people be people that like you as a writer, and that's all okay. And you know, there's always going to be somebody and something that matches for us because that's just the nature of the world, right? So being true to who we are will only attract, will only help attract more of what we want to attract anyway. And the more we're trying to fit into something that we're not, we're going to get sick, we're going to be miserable, and we're going to live an inauthentic life that's unsatisfying and doesn't help contribute to elevate the highest good of the planet and of those around us. And for some reason, it's the hardest thing to do. You know, humans are always overcomplicating things. It's the simplest thing to do, and it's the hardest thing to do. Exactly. Exactly. It's just weird. That is, a, actually, I think that that's a great place to wrap this up. I, I, I really liked what you just said a lot, and it's, a, it's profound and um, has, has left me with something to think about. So my instinct is that we should just, just wrap it up unless there's anything else that you'd like to add. No, I think we should just embrace our weirdness. <laughs> I, I think so too. I think so too. And I look forward to following you on more adventures. I'm going to put at least one of your uh, really cool videos um, up on the show notes page and people can link back to your website too. But how can people look you up and get in touch with you directly? Um, they can go to my website, um, uh, which is www.bluezonconsulting.com. Um, and my email and all my contact information is on there, or uh, that's probably the easiest thing. That's perfect. I'll put that link on um, the show notes page for the show as well, so people can find you easily. And um, thank you for being with us today, Susan. That was great. Thank you so much for having me, and I look forward to continuing our conversation. Absolutely. Wonderful. And thank you all for listening to the show. My guest was Susan Jacobs. And you can find this complete interview, links to Susan's website and social media on our website, ReadySetGrit.com. Thanks again for joining us and check in again next Friday when we release another episode with tips on how to turn your daydream into a phenomenal success. Thanks for tuning in to Ready, Set, Grit, your life on purpose with Ellen Barton. Look us up online at ReadySetGrit.com where you'll find daily inspiration links to our social media, and where you can access our ebooks and online classes. Ready, Set, Grit. Inspired actions, real results.